0: And grab a pen. You're going to want to write this down. Welcome to the Confidence and Communication podcast. One of the things that I always hope to share in my podcast episodes is to bring you, my favorite listener, stories and examples of confidence and communication. Because as I've shared many times in my podcast, that's something that's really experienced or really important to me. And I do that through sharing my experiences. And I do that by having amazing conversations with just fabulous guests. So I'm excited about the guests that I have with me before I introduce her. I just want to remind you that if you are not in my private Facebook group, the CNC podcast community or the CC podcast community, to please join there because that's where I offer my free training and I have some coming up and I want to share that with you. I don't want you to miss it. So my guest today is Deanne Hupfield and she is a speaker, educator, powwow dance teacher, regalia making instructor and offers a cultural competency keynote among other things that we're going to talk about. One of the first things that I want to jump into is she has 67.7 thousand followers on TikTok and 382,000 likes. But what is so fun about it is one of the posted videos on TikTok is a fancy shawl footwork dance and people have been duetting it. And I saw that video. I saw the duets. And I didn't even realize that it was you, Deanne. So I was like, oh my God, this is her. (laughs) So welcome
1: to my podcast. Thank you for being here. Oh, much for having me, Jessica. Glad to be here.
0: Good, good. So we connected on Instagram and following you on TikTok now. And the work that you're doing is really incredible. And I was looking at it again this morning. And one of the things that it really did for me so I'm an urban Indigenous woman. I've lived only in the city my whole life. I'm from Kisikunan First Nation in Manitoba. You know, I wish I had that stronger connection with my, with my community. But I think many of us Indigenous people do. So when I look at your dances, your photos and just the content that you're sharing, to me, it's glamorous Indigenous. Like it brings so much pride. It's beautiful. It shows something. It shows a reflection of something that I never knew that I could possibly be. So my ancestors, my grandparents, who they could have been. And so thank you. Thank you for what you do.
1: Oh, miigwech. Beautiful work. So, yeah. Go ahead. I don't I don't know if you know this, but I'm also urban. My mom lost her Indian status. My mom was a part of the 60s scoop and she was raised in a bunch of homes. When she had me, she married my dad who was non-status also, and she lost her Indian status. So I have always also been urban. I remember being really small and just wanting to learn to dance from my mom. She took me to a powwow at Fort William Gardens in Thunder Bay. She couldn't teach me. My mom, she just said, I can't teach you. She said, go follow those women and just go do what they do. So that's what I did. And mm-hmm. she saw that I really loved powwow. So she kept bringing me back. Mm-hmm. It was through like connecting to culture that really helped me build my self-esteem as like a descendant of Indian residential schools. Like all my grandparents went and my great grandparents. My life started off super rocky and mm-hmm. I was fortunate enough to survive my childhood and my teenage years It was all because of connecting to culture. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I hear that that's been incredible for like so many people who have been able to embrace it that way. One of the things that I feel like has been a part of my experience, and I wonder if this has been a part of your experience, but I wonder, like when I think about you being a young child and asking your mom and me putting myself in that mom situation, if I can't show that to you, if I can't teach that to you, then I'm feeling shame. You know, what, what has that experience been
1: like for you? Like as a mom, like I I have children now and I've just raised them on the powwow trail. I've been dancing now for like 30 years. Even when I was pregnant, I would go to the drum socials and my baby would just be like sleeping inside my tummy. And then as soon as they hear the drums, they're like, what is that? And they're just like bouncing around in my tummy. Oh, <laughs> that's amazing. Because there's
0: so much teaching behind that, right? Behind the drum and the heartbeat and then you being there with a baby in your belly. Oh my God, that's beautiful. I love that. So what's the story of you
1: coming into being the Deanne Hupfield that you are today? I grew up in and out of foster care. My mom, she had me really young. She was like 19 years old and she had a lot of trauma from being in the system and she turned to addictions. So my mom struggled with drug and alcohol addictions for my whole life, I was apprehended when I was four. And then I just would do some time, my mom would work hard to get me back. And then I'd go back to care. And then it was just back and forth for most of my life. Mm -hmm. When she did get me back, she got me back for like five years, when I was just becoming a tween. We were so poor, my mom, she was sober, but she hadn't, she didn't have the resources to heal her trauma to address her trauma. So she mostly just did she smoked weed like it was not even that harsh of a, a drug, <laughs> but she was just like a chronic, which led us to always being poor at school. I would get bullied for being native. It was like, oh, you like you're a welfare bogan. That was like the derogatory term they would call me. I just got so tired of it. I'm like, I'm going to go to the mall and I'm going to go get what I want. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I went to the mall and I just started shoplifting. Mm. And it was just out of like, like I would steal food. I would steal clothes, anything that my, I couldn't get. I would just, I just took it. And of course I was like 13 years old when this was happening, 12 years old, 13. And then I ended up getting caught and I ended up going to Juvie Mm. and it was in, in Thunder Bay, like 90% of the kids were all native kids in Juvie. Mm -hmm. So I was just there with like my community. Yeah. I was in open custody, so I was still able to go to school from juvie, and they sent us to this program called the New Experience Program, and it was a program run by an Ojibwe social worker. He would have these talking circles, and he would stand in the middle of the circle holding an eagle feather, and he would just talk about how he overcame his addictions and how terrible addictions are and how through connecting to culture he was able to make a better life for him himself and now he was married and he was raising his children with his wife and they owned a car and they owned a house and I had never met an indigenous person who had those things Mm. and I looked at him and I was like I'm like I want that life like I never that was not an option for me I'm like this I'm like I want this wow and I just like clung to him I was like, just teach me everything. I'll come to every class. (laughs) And his circles were so successful. He would have like 40 rough native kids from (laughs) juvie all in a circle, quiet, listening to him. Those are the real angels. (laughs) People like that, eh? Yeah. And it was so impressive. Now that I think back, I'm like, wow, like people didn't have to go. That was just where everyone went. Mm. We needed some hope. We needed something. He eventually ended up fostering me when I was 15. Wow. So Life was really terrible, like living with my mom, and I was in and out of the foster care system. Still, and he's like, "Just come live with me and my family." Mm-hmm. So I went in and I lived with him and his family, and I became his traditional daughter. And mm. yeah, I'm, he walked me down the aisle when I got married. Like, oh
0: my god, yeah, it's beautiful. He helped me
1: move to Toronto for fashion school. Ah. <laughs> uh...
0: Amazing. That's incredible. And you know what, I have never gotten into trouble where I had to get arrested or anything like that. It's interesting how these colonial structures are designed to have us there, you know, more Indigenous people there. And then they throw in this, you know, Indigenous elder to teach us. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, right? Just the whole setup is is bizarre, right? If you could have had cultural teachings in the first place, <laughs> then maybe yeah, exactly. you wouldn't have been there, right? Exactly. Any, anyway, maybe
1: that was a little if bit my, of a rant. No, if my mom had culture, it was so hard. I watched as my friends passed away. I watched as my friends overdosed or died of AIDS or had too much trauma and just ended up on the streets. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just an mm-hmm. endless loss it just keeps absolutely
0: happening. Absolutely. So I don't know if you had a chance to listen to any of my story yet, but one of the things that was really a life changer for me was when I was 27 years old, my brother was killed by the police. Before that, I didn't know anything about being Indigenous. I didn't know anything about being Aboriginal, which of course was, you know, the word of the day at the time. I remember when I started to learn, so my brother was killed. And then all of a sudden, all this information I'm exposed to police brutality, the history of indigenous people and police and Canada. (laughs) And so I went through this phase. And again, I was a young adult. I had two boys at the time. I didn't know that I could really be a part of it. I mean, my identity did transition, but if there was a time for culture to be really exposed to me, that would have been the the first and the most. And even going through understanding and meeting more people that I was like, wow, like these people are just like me. Their families are crazy, just like mine. Like. I didn't know. I went through this phase of like, do I call myself First Nation? Am I allowed to call myself Aboriginal? Like I didn't know. And I was way too embarrassed to ask anybody. So it took me a long time. And then I am now comfortable with the terms First Nation or Indigenous. So did you ever go through that when you were young? Like, is that my identity? What does that mean about me?
1: I was really fortunate. Like I grew up, my main foster home was on Fort William First Nation. I always knew I was Native. I was always that Native kid. And I'm visibly Indigenous. So people in Thunder Bay, it's, yeah, it was hard to, I couldn't, everyone knew. Mm -hmm. I was always trying to stand up to racism. I remember in grade school, in grade six, because people would make fun of me. And I did a speech in grade six on why power dancing is important. And how our regalias are not costumes, like they have meaning. So I had already been going to powwows for a little bit in grade six, mm-hmm. and I was already trying to combat racism in my school. <laughs> wow, amazing.
0: Okay. And so then you, how did you start getting into like making regalia? Like the stuff that you make is just like, the talent is
1: incredible and it's beautiful. How did you get started in that? One of the first ceremonies that I did with my counselor, his name was Ron Kanetsky, He took us on a fasting ceremony when I was 13. It's like a traditional Ojibwe ceremony. You give something up to get something. And it was after that ceremony that I was told I was supposed to start dancing Fancy Shawl. And Ron hired regalia makers from the community, uh, Dave Munias and Lisa Gustafson. And they came in every week for like years to come and teach for his program. They supported me to make my first regalia. And it took me like two years to make my first outfit. I was already like an alcoholic by age 12. So I was like partying and committing crimes and getting arrested and then sobering up and then going back to culture and then falling over and making another mistake. And it was just like a lot of back and forth for
0: Mm -hmm. a long time. Holy smokes. And so what happened where you was, you decided I'm going in all the way, like, this is who I
1: want to be. Well, I kept falling down. I kept making, I'm like, I'm going to sober up this time. And then I, and then I didn't. It was just this big cycle for like 10 years. And then I kept making regalias. And then one summer I was like, I love powwows. And that is where I'm happiest. I'm like, I'm going to go, I'm going to start a business. And I went to school and when I this was like later on in my twenties, I went to school for entrepreneurship and mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm going to start a powwow vendor company. Mm-hmm. And like, I started printing t-shirts and I started taking orders for regalia. And that summer I made 90 fancy shawls wow it's like like I sewed all day every day for like 12 hours oh my
0: goodness holy smokes
1: I didn't even have my driver's license or a car but somehow I made it to some powwows I made some sales and I was like I love this I'm doing it I at that time I didn't know how to make sleeves I didn't know how to put in zippers I didn't know how to make flares or make my own patterns I was just winging it Mm -hmm. and I was like I'm gonna apply to fashion school so that I can learn to make regalia better, because I love this. At the same time, a couple of years before, I was like growing up in Thunder Bay, it was a very rough place, very unsafe, a lot of violence, a lot of addictions. I was already starting to benefit from culture, like I was powwow dancing, and I was feeling happy. I was still struggling with my addictions. And when I was 19, I was like, I'm gonna have a powwow dance class at I'm like, I was talking to my best friend at the time, Claire Moses. I'm like, let's have a power dance class. And she's like, yeah, let's, let's do it. And we went to um, the cultural center at Victoriaville Mall. We printed out all these flyers. We handed them out at the Brodish Street bus terminal. And we rented out Ogden School. The first class came and like, we had like 10 Indigenous women show up. I'm like, I'm going to teach you guys how to power dance. Let's do it. And then I'm like, okay, everyone, I'm going to dance. And you just follow behind me. <laughs> <laughs> And then everyone came for like one class and then they just never came back. (laughs) Oh,
0: wow. Good for you though. And that's how you learn, right? You just dive into it, see what happens and figure it out
1: next time. Yeah, it was so funny. And then I never paid the bill. No one ever taught me about bills. So Mm -hmm. like, I just never went back to the class, never canceled the class. And (laughs) it followed me around on my, what is it? debt collections oh. <laughs> till I was like 25 <laughs> then I wow oh
0: my goodness oh yeah. so funny
1: yeah and then I applied for fashion school and I got in so like my social like Ron and his oldest daughter drove me to Toronto and like they just left me here and I had no connections <laughs> no cell phone they just <laughs> left me here <laughs> wow and so you've been in Toronto ever since yeah, because then I realized I'm like, oh, people don't hate me because I'm a brown woman here. I'm like, I'm going to wow. stay here.
0: <laughs> wow. Okay. So now what you're doing is your goal in your business is to do
1: what? So I had been teaching frontline at the Native Canadian Centre, different reserves. I've been teaching regalia making now since I was 17. I would teach classes even before I was qualified. Um, so I've been <laughs> teaching for like 20 years and I've been teaching powwow dances since I was 19, Powwow dance classes in community, like at community centers. And I was like, and then I became a mom and I was like, I can't be gone all the time. Like I have to be home. So I started posting on YouTube at the beginning of the pandemic and that went really successful. I really need to return to YouTube. And then I'm like, I wanna help more people. I'm like, I see that this is such a good way of life. It supports our community, like we need it. So I started, um, I'm like, I'm gonna do an online regalia making course. And I launched it in September of 2020. And yeah, it was super successful. I teach my students step-by-step how to design, cut, and sew their own jingle dress regalia through video lessons and through written instructions. Yeah, I just support people to have the skills to put the dress together. And the way I teach, the first step that my students take is they make a sample dress. They make all their mistakes and they struggle through the sample. So when they get to their good copy, like they'll have some experience under their belt. Right.
0: They remember, oh yeah, this, this part, I need to do it this way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And my goal, I'm launching a new dress soon. What I found with this dress that I have, it fit average size women good, but um, any woman who had like a larger bust, it, if they had to size up, like the shoulders started to creep over, and it was just it didn't fit really good. Mm-hmm. So I designed this new O'Gichita dress and it's um, fitted by your cup size. Mm. So so it's a lot of patterns. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm hoping that it will just it'll fit different women's bodies better. Yeah. And it'll be something that will make them feel strong. It has really big, poofy shoulders and it has like a nice little cuff on the wrist and yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to launch that soon whenever I can get child care regularly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so that's incredible. I think I love that you went to fashion school and you probably like surprised your class because I'm sure most people don't go to Toronto Fashion School to push forward their regalia making business. Right. Yeah.
1: So wh- what kind of reactions did you get in class? I was, like, one of the only Indigenous women in my class. It was great. It was such a good learning experience. They're really focused on, like, high fashion, like haute couture, very technical stuff. And I'm like, that's not why I'm here. And I, I had taken OSAP to go. So I was, like, going into big debt to go to school. And then I learned as much as I could. I'm like, this is not benefiting me anymore. I don't want to be, like, a high fashion fashion person. So I just, like, dropped out of school. Mm. And then I just started doing, working in culture, teaching culture in schools and in community centers. Mm-hmm.
0: And then you have all of that experience now, though, like you have some behind the scenes knowledge, which is probably still very helpful to what you're building. Would you say?
1: Like behind the scenes? Oh, like for like fashion, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like now I have the skills to make my own patterns, all of these patterns for my regalias, like they're all they come from like paper and pencil measurements, and then I make them and then I remake them and then I remake them them again until I'm like, okay, this works. And they're built off indigenous woman bodies, like they're not the standard sizes. Oh, so
0: fascinating. I just love it. So out of the and we'll use your TikTok numbers, the 67,000 people that follow you. Like who are the ideal people that buy from you or, Um, or like attend your, like buy your programs to
1: use your stuff? It's really humbling. The people that take my courses. I have people who have gone to Indian residential school who have taken my class. I have 60 scoop survivors who take my class and people that have been disconnected from their culture because of colonization. Mm -hmm. So that is where my heart is. It's like using my gifts to support women and families to reclaim their culture so that they can also have those good teachings and those good benefits of culture. That self-esteem. That's when I feel most beautiful is in my regalia. Mm. That's when I feel like proud of who I am as an Ojibwe woman. And being at the powwow is like the most beautiful place. Like it'll make you cry watching all these women dancing jingle. Because you know that the pain that they carry and the pain that they come from. I don't know that people
0: who are not involved in like, you know, people, so many of us, Indigenous and non-Indigenous, are so separated from the whole powwow and designing regalia, all of that sort of stuff. But it's so much more than just dancing and regalia. And people don't understand that. What would you say to someone who they don't know what they're missing? They think that it's just, you know, oh, I don't want to dress up in a, a, a costume, not understanding the proper terminology, or I don't feel welcome at a powwow. Like, what is regalia making doing for you and doing for those other people?
1: Well, for me, the act of creating, the act of dancing, it's healing. When I was that teenage girl struggling with addictions and trauma, I would go to traditional powwows and my teacher he's like when you're when they whistle the drums it's like that's when you work through that stuff he goes you think about it you hold it in your heart you hold all those emotions and you dance through it I was in abusive relationships and I would dance and I'd be like this is something that these people who are hurting me can't take away from me Mm. and I would just like dance through those things until my body till I couldn't even dance anymore my body was like you're done
0: (laughs) wow that's That's beautiful. That's so deep. It's so spiritual. It's so emotional. It's so healing everything. And so, and then I love that you, like your TikToks are like super entertaining. Like you do the transitions where you're just in your like kind of workout gear and then you're in your regalia. So tell me about the duet. Like when did you post that original? And then when did
1: people start duetting it? So well, I actually I actually took an online course through the National Screen Institute and they partnered with TikTok to they created a TikTok accelerator for indigenous creators. I've and heard of it. Yeah. So it was run by Sherry McKay and the NCI. And that first video that went viral of mine, that was my homework for the program. So
0: this was just recent? You just did that TikTok In, thing. I think I did it in November. I remember hearing about that because I I did have Sherry as a guest also. Oh,
1: awesome. and
0: but I didn't realize that it was done already and that that was part of the first cohort. That was your homework. Wow, that was my homework. <laughs> oh my goodness! So what was the first duet or like what happened
1: first? It went viral and then you started getting barely, duets. It went, it went very viral. Like my first duet was like a Native American girl. I can't remember what nation she's from. But it was like a young girl duetted me side by side, and I was like, "Oh, this is so, this is so weird and so unexpected, right? You had yeah, no idea. Okay." And then the sec, and then this one guy, uh, Dabels, his D A B E L L Z, he duetted me. He was the first one, and he duetted himself. I'm like. I didn't even realize that he duetted me and put my legs on his body. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was so funny. And then he started the trend. It was the bells. And then oh. all of a sudden, like all these native men started duetting me and native women, mostly yeah. native men. Really? And every day I would wake up and I would find all these duets of me of like native men from different reserves all over North America duetting me. And it was so funny.
0: Oh my goodness. That is so <laughs> cool because it's not just about like oh look at me I went viral it's it's about culture it's about people connecting it's about people feeling like they belong and they're reflected somewhere finally and oh I because seriously I saw those duets maybe it was because you were sharing them I can't remember but I'm still new at TikTok I like Instagram I know TikTok I'm neglected to learn um but then I was like, oh, my God, that's Deanne's TikTok that they're all doing. <laughs> like, I didn't even know. And then I was just even more impressed. <laughs> I was like, yeah, it was so that's hilarious. the coolest
1: thing. It was so funny.
0: And so can you talk a little bit about some of the challenges, like the internal challenges that you would have had throughout your your journey so far? And Maybe what I'll how I'll actually set up that question is. Sometimes I'll have people follow me on Instagram and they like what I'm doing with my speaker coaching and they're interested in coaching and that's great. But some people think, Oh, look at Jessica. She was just born that way. She's lucky. She's successful. She didn't have to go through anything, you know, and, and that's not the case. And clearly that's not the case with you. So do you have people that look at you that way and, what goes on inside because ultimately the message that you want to share is an empowering, loving message.
1: Yeah. And like, I inherited a low self-esteem from my mom and I I'm always battling with it. Like I'm, I'm in my own therapy, my husband's in, in therapy and my kids are in therapy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like we're all trying to learn how to <laughs> communicate better in healthy ways and unlearn all those toxic coping strategies that I had to learn to survive as a kid and sometimes like when I don't perform well I take it as a blow to my self-esteem I'm like I'm not worthy or if I get hate mail from a Native woman who is mad at me I'll take it personally (laughs) Mm -hmm. then I have to be like it's not about me and I so I'm working on not attaching my self-esteem to my success on tiktok or youtube mm-hmm. or social media mm-hmm. and it's it's a work in progress social media is like killer that way mm-hmm. because you watch other people get so successful and then you're not and then you're like am i important am i worth it so i have to really take social media with a grain of salt like when it's successful yay and then when it's not successful i also have to be like it's okay yeah yeah one of the things that I made a
0: point to do probably about two years ago, and I'm so glad that I did, is I'm aware of my numbers, but I don't let that dictate how I feel about how I'm showing up or that sort of thing. If I share a post that only gets seven likes or, or two likes, whatever, it is it is what it is. And so I've been able to let that go. Um, I know it's hard for a lot of people, I, I imagine, and my head's just not there anymore, How do you get there? How do you get to separating yourself, especially when someone sends you hate mail? Where I want to sort of take this conversation is people are so afraid to show up because of that judgment, right? People are so afraid. And I was there too, and I get it. But there comes a time where if you're going to show up all the way, if you're going to be authentic, and if you're going to do what you've come here to do, you have to put that aside. And that can be scary. You're scared of judgment. What will people who know me think? What if people don't like it? What goes on in your head? Or what did you have Um, to overcome?
1: I like, I go to therapy and I do like cognitive behavioral therapy. So, like, when I start to have those negative thoughts towards myself that are not helpful, I reframe them. Mm -hmm. So, like, I'm getting like professional help.
0: Yeah, reframing. Absolutely. I've taken therapy. And one of like one of the parts of my story is I've spoke to counselors, elders, guidance counselors, job counselors, psychics, like I talk to everybody. And I say for your healing, you have to try everything, right? You don't give up something didn't work. What works for you might not work for me and vice versa. So I totally hear you when it comes to that. What would you say to encourage people
1: in their confidence? If you have a dream to do something, don't wait, just get it done. doesn't have to be perfect. I always tell my students, I'm like, we're looking for done, not perfect. Mm. Like I say that throughout my course. Cause I'm like, women get stuck in their head. They're like, I want my jingle dress to be perfect. And I'm like, it's not going to be perfect and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Like it's not about being perfect. It's about doing it from a good place and just, mm-hmm. and even my course, my course is not perfect. And I'm always trying to make it better, and so that people will have success with it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and don't, don't be afraid to make mistakes. I for my TikTok it grew so fast because I was required to sh- post and show up, and I made mistakes. But now that there's no fire under my butt, I haven't really posted since. <laughs> <laughs> so that I'm you... not responsible to anyone.
0: <laughs> you've done you've. Did, made the viral accomplishments. So you're good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I think that's great because, you know, where does this vision of what is perfect come from anyway? Right. It's a made up thing. Nothing is perfect. And that's something that I still have to remind myself and manage is I think that I'm working towards this perfect place, right? This my dream home, dream relationship, whatever, I'm working towards all these things. And when you get caught up in that, in the perfectionism and the fact that we're not there, we're forgetting to live right now and forgetting to have the experience and laugh about it and cry about it, but feel it right now in the moment. And uh, that's what life is really about. I think Mm -hmm. it's a tough reminder sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you market your program if people want to learn more about you and maybe get involved in your work? How do they do that?
1: The people that are interested in my upcoming courses, because I do plan when this next jingle dress is done, I plan to do fancy shawl and then I plan to do grass dancing, men's fancy, men's traditional and women's traditional and kids and eventually babies too, like in toddler sizes to plus size adults. Um, if people want to get involved, I always just tell them to subscribe to my website because I always email my email list. Whoever subscribes to my website, it's like, oh, this is available now. This is available. Excellent. So it's on hubfield.com.
0: Okay. And your Instagram and your TikTok. is
1: It's all the same. The
0: same. Okay, good. That's that always makes it nice and easy. Well, thank you so much for being a guest on my podcast. Thank you for being open and sharing. I know that for myself, being open and sharing personal stories is like how, what people really need to connect to, right? There's enough out there that's made up or enough that's like the truth is covered up. And, and I believe that in order for us to really help people, like we really have to put skin in the game by being open, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So thank you so much for being here. No, miigwech for having me. Absolutely. And so for those of you who are listening, if any of this resonated with you, take a screenshot, tag both of us on Instagram and join me again next week. See you then. Thank you so much for listening. Miigwech, Egoce, Merci. Please don't leave without hearing me tell you that you are worthy and your time is worthy, which is why I'm so happy you chose to listen to this podcast. If there was something in this message that resonated with you, please take a screenshot and share it on your Instagram story and tag me at JessicaDumas01. Because if you found this helpful, your friends and your cousins will want to know about it. Until next time, decide you are worthy of what you want and go get it.